You're listening to Conversion Nations, the podcast that helps conversion optimizers overcome challenges they face with their experimentation programs. Brought to you by Effective Experiments, the workflow and project management software helping optimizers make experimentation a core part of their business. Scale up your testing program with a centralized solution and document all your research, ideas, experiments, and results in one place. Learn more and request your free trial by visiting EffectiveExperiments.com. And now, your host, Manuel DaCosta. Hey, welcome. This is Manuel from Effective Experiments, and you're watching Conversion Nations, the podcast where we have conversations with conversion experts. And joining me on this podcast today is uh, Andrew Anson, who has been a growth expert for many years, working with multiple companies out there. Um, Chad Sanderson was meant to join us today. Uh, he might be running late or he might not be able to join us and Tim Stewart has taken uh, the day off. So it's just me and our guest, Andrew Anderson. Andrew, welcome and it's good, great to have you on here. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Definitely looking forward to this. Yeah. And for people that don't know you, uh, do you mind uh, kind of introducing yourself and uh, telling us um, you know, your, about your experience and yeah, what you'd like to, t- uh, what you'd like to share today? Sure, so I'll do a quick background. Um, I've been in the space for 16 years now, worked with a number of companies uh, on the agency side, on the consulting side, and especially on the client side. Um, I've probably worked with at least 350, maybe 400 sites at this point, Um, run optimization programs from small to big, any type of uh, industry, things like that. Um, My background is also in engineering, marketing, data, analytics, BI, uh, content, all the above. Um, and the reason I wanted to join here today is I tend to be a very um, outspoken voice when it comes to some contrary opinions to how people view optimization. Um, and so I was kind of hoping to, to talk about a different way to view optimization and how that might change a lot of the fundamental practices of a lot of groups. That, that is interesting because you, you reached out to me on LinkedIn and you said uh, that you've been watching the show and there are a few things that we're getting right. And there are a few things that we're getting wrong in our discussions as well. And that kind of intrigued me because again, uh, if, you know, when I when I uh, replied back, I said, the way, the reason why I set up this podcast is to try and help people understand optimization from different viewpoints and, you know, controversial or an opposing viewpoint is also welcome. Um, So, you know, let's, let's start with that. Let's start with, uh, let's pick one point that you thought uh, you think uh, can is slightly different. And you want to you want to go on with that, and then we'll we'll work through it. So so let me give a quick basis, and then I'll dive into the my most famous point. We'll go from there. So sure. fundamentally, optimization is not about running tests or doing these actions. Fundamentally, optimization is about a simple question: How do we maximize the outcomes for the resources we have? Which means that we need to get out of a testing mindset. We need to get outside of a validation mindset. And we have to look at different disciplines that can help us teach that. And it turns out there's a lot of them out there from yield optimization, band-based optimization. The one that I tend to focus on the most is uh, anti-fragility or using the power of optionality to get the uh, maximum outcomes. And what that type of view set means is that you're looking at things as a system instead of as an individual action. In fact, I tend to prefer call things actions and not that because really what we're trying to do is maximize our ability to choose between options to get an outcome, which means that our goal is to see how many different options we can get in how fast can we act on those things and what are the beta those options are. The nice part about that is it means that all ideas are fungible. 
It means that the goal is the beta of the options. It doesn't matter which any individual option is. The trade-off for that, though, is that means we need to get out of thinking about anything to do with the individual option, which is why I tend to be very vocal about hypothesis and storytelling being uh, the devil, so to speak, or whatever you want to call it. Um, that fundamentally is a proof of validation. It's mm -hmm. also a deeply wrong view of scientific method. Um, but more importantly, it's, it's going the complete wrong direction. Our goal is to maximize our ability to make the right decisions, our ability to maximize the system and the efforts of that system. Anytime we start talking about storytelling or we start talking about hypothesis, we're getting caught up on a single concept. And that is the antithesis of maximization of results. Gotcha. So that, that is actually, you know, we've been, talked, we've been talking about hypothesis-driven test design. And if you look online again, there's a lot of uh, discussions about creating the right hypothesis, the right story before you're testing. And so you're coming at, at this angle. This, is that, this isn't actually the right way of doing it. Um, I'm going to ask this controversial question over here. Is the wisdom of the crowds wrong over here? Well, just quote Mark Twain, anytime you find yourself in the, uh, in the direction with the crowd, you're going in the wrong direction. Okay. Pause and reflect to use his exact term. So fundamentally, people do that because it's easier to explain someone when they're having the same conversation what they're having. Marketers and people in the space tend to very much focus on um, I think, I believe, I want conversations, right? You get a bunch of people in a room, I think that's what we do. Everyone kind of gets around to that point and does it. Then optimization usually comes in and says, here, let's at least test that to see what the thing is. And either we're validating an idea or not. Uh, if you take a step back, however, there's no data that could possibly validate that hypothesis from a single test. The only thing you can get is up, up, down, down, left, uh, down, up, up, down, right? because you can only have two relevant metrics. You can only have something that goes with your idea or it doesn't. Um, in reality, it's an irrelevant conversation anyways, because all you're doing is creating the type chance for a type one error, um, a false positive, in this case, cognitively, and more importantly, it's ego in uh, validation. So if we take ourselves out of it and we say, just fundamentally, without talking about an individual idea, what the maximum goal is, it allows you to get around that conversation. Storytelling is an amazing, powerful tool to bypass and to leverage biases to get to a point. But it's not about maximizing outcomes, as I said, the entire point of this is. It's simply a way of making one person look good or bad. Fundamentally, also with hypothesis, there's a major problem. With, it sits the situation where the outcome is to be right and not wrong. And the truth is, the absolute worst case scenario is you're right. Because right means you've spent more time and resource to get to the exact point you wanted to get in the first place. Wrong means not only did you prove something outperforms what you're trying to do, um, but you get to learn something. So what you're actually doing is minimizing regret by being wrong. You're actually maximizing regret by being right. And so you have to completely change that mindset and allowing people to get into this forming a hypothesis thing, allowing yourself to get in that conversation I outlined before is fundamentally wrong. And that is to me where so many practitioners in this space just completely degrade what optimization can and should be. It also shows in your average response and results for most programs where you have uh, anywhere from a 4% success rate that's been reported by um, Microsoft up to 20%. But it, the reality is if you look at the math, if I'm balancing my options and have enough traffic and know how to use my resources, a 90% success rate, 100% success rate is mathematically very easy. Mm -hmm. So what you're getting there is the difference between the actual outcome, that 90%, and the personal bias part, the 10%, and that's regret, and I use regret mathematically, 
the difference between the maximum yield versus your actual yield based on expected outcomes. And so that's really what you're giving, you're allowing in that case. Gotcha. So I'm just going to pause over here. Chad, welcome. You made it. So guys, how's it yeah, going? Cool. So, you know, uh, just to bring you up to speed, if you, if you haven't picked up on that already, uh, Andrew has been talking about, well, a different approach, the way we've been getting it all wrong. I don't know if you picked up on all of that, some of that, you know, why don't you jump in and, and uh, give us your take on it as well, or, or what you picked up on that, first of all. Um, yeah, so I, I think I probably missed like 50 to 70% of, of what he said, but I, I got the, I think I got, I got the, I got the general idea. Um, and so let me just, just, just to summarize kind of quickly and Andrew, like, tell me, tell me where I get this wrong. But the idea is, is by starting from a hypothesis in, in the first place, you're limiting the potential amounts of, of success that you might have. Am I kind of going in the right direction? Uh, from an individual option standpoint, yes. But from a system standpoint, there's no point in even viewing a single option because it's fungible. Mm, mm, okay. So, so in that case, so I mean, I would, I would probably, instead of, you know, kind of uh, putting my viewpoint forward, I probably have a few questions first so I can understand a little bit better. Um, so, so first of all, how does, if, if that's the case, and how does one decide what to test in the first place? Like, how does one make a decision that this is, this is the test that we're going to move forward with? So you're always in a practice where you're trying to constantly put efforts forward to create actions. And again, I use actions, not tests, because it kind of disassociates. And more importantly, from an optionality standpoint, that's literally what it is, an action to make a choice. Your ability is to look at what you can maximize the amount of change and options that you can do, the amount of traffic and ability to make that decision. So what can you do to minimize type one, type two errors? particularly type one, because they're so negative on a, a cognitive level and maximize yields. Generally, there's four types of things you can change in user experience. Real estate, presentation, function, or copy. And at least from doing this for 16 years and running hundreds of thousands of tests, real estate tends to trump the other ones 10 times over anything else. Uh, real estate being the inclusion, exclusion, spatial, relative space of items on a page. Usually what I explain to people is you got to figure out which Legos belong on the thing and how they go together before you worry about what color they are and what they actually have on each individual piece. And so anything that can maximize our ability to deconstruct an idea, to look at the spatial changes, um, it allows us to do that. But again, even thinking about a test misses the point of it's a testing series, right? If I'm looking at a page and I look how it's constructed, well, then I can look at what the influence of elements are, and then I can look at the influence of the individual components of the element, and then I can look at how to get the maximum yield on that. And then I can look at different systems depending on what creation I have to maximize the yield. And it never changes, it never ends. So it's always a system. It's always that, that action to, to maximize uh, yield. I see. Okay, so, so just, to, just, to, just to clarify again, um, so the idea is less that we're even, we're not even, we're not really even approaching A-B testing as if we're doing tests, tests at all. We're really, uh, making we're making changes and we're, we're, we're making pretty opportunity to choose between options gotcha okay yeah yeah that's um that's really interesting but i but i can also i mean i can also definitely see the the okay so here's so here's another question in that case so if we're if the goal is increasing the is is um 
increasing the amount of options that we have and we're not focusing on any one particular change, then I guess the next sort of logical um, question to ask is how do we decide since there's all these potentially infinite options, how do we decide what are, what are the changes that we're going to make? Or is it to you, is it just a process and you have to start somewhere? So and then I start with spatial real estate changes. I try to get as many different options as possible. We'll talk through that. So I'll give it a quick example. If I'm looking at spatial changes in an ideal state, I have the ability to say, give me 15 different layouts, wireframe, cut that down to the 10 that are biggest range. I'll also cut down to two that just don't make sense. And I'm always looking at beta. I don't care about any individual option. It's not my job to judge options. I only care about the beta of options. And then I might get down to seven plus control. That's eight options. I can look at what my expected yield is from that from a simple model and see what the, the gain is off that. The challenge is not that statement because it's very rare we get to start there. The much more challenging thing is to take a deconstruction of an idea and see how far back we go. And by the way, this doesn't have to be with the user experience or testing. You can do the exact same discipline when it comes to acquisition spend or resources and projects for companies, the same concept. But let's say that I'm going to use the acquisition spend and I'm saying I have this group that I really want to target to, uh, maybe retargeting, maybe a specific geo or something like that. Well, I can destruct that idea. And the first question is, how am I interacting with those people? The second question is, what are the possible people I can interact with? And so I can take that same single option and say, okay, I'm going to serve it to everyone. I'm going to serve it to a very different type of target. I'm going to talk to a different one that's similar to that and see what my optionality is in there and still get that. So you're always trying to create the opportunity, the situation where the absolute worst case scenario is you're right. And so that could be user experience, could be acquisitions, something like that. That's why it's not really A-B testing. It's literally just choosing between options. And the fundamental goal is not, it's to minimize regret. And again, I just want to re-explain that for those that aren't used to that term. If I give you $5 and you give me back 10. Yay, that's good, right? We like making money. But if I could also then turn to the next person and give them $5 and they give me back 20, there's a $10 in regret by choosing to go to the first person, right? So it's always this exploration, people use that, the, the bandit-based problems, versus exploitation of information. And I'm always trying to maximize yield, which means I'm minimizing regret. Regret is that difference between possible outcome versus actual outcome based on its normal circumstances. Hmm. I see. Okay. Um, interesting. So how, how does, how does something like this go over when you're working with like a product manager or something and you're like explaining this concept? So the very first thing I do is I make sure I have this conversation without getting in the context of a single action. In other words, it's too late. Once we say we want to go do this and you're jumping in, Hey, let's go test that. What I do is here's what we're trying to accomplish. I'm going to work with you to find opportunities to maximize this. I'm going to show you what this looks like. A lot of times I have to be very heavy handed at the start and say, here's what we need to do. And then they get that in there. The nice part is because of the system and everything's fungible, you can take any input, you can take any concept, you can take any opinion because it's irrelevant. Um, and include that. It's more about the system as a whole and being able to make sure that beta. So if they have their, their baby in this fight, as long as you're very clear on how you're going to act on stuff, and this is where you get single success metric and understanding variance and understanding not misunderstanding uh, confidence, that would be a good start. And then you say, here's how we're gonna build a pool, yours is included, if you win, great, if wrong, guess what, you look better, you make better outcomes. Um, that's the conversation, and sometimes it goes over better than others, but most of the day, as long as you're showing them wins, they tend to love that. And especially since going through the system produces much more consistent and actually lower resources wins, 
Um, it's huge because the other thing with this is because ideas are fungible and going back to that fundamental question, it's always about maximizing what resources I have today. If I can only do a presentation test and have to wait to do something else, I'm going to do a presentation test and just change a bunch of colors. If I have time to build something new, I'm going to wait till I can build out six or seven new things. If I have to do a new page, I'm going to wait till I can do those pieces. And so by allowing them to see that point, it actually eliminates problems on their end because they're used to this review cycle of, I really have to build this one perfect thing. So everyone gets together, talks about it, builds it, comes back, talks about it more, and you're getting rid of all those conversations. End of the day, the most simple option is I build 10, you can kill two. I don't care which two, I still end up with eight. Does that make sense? And so by reducing the I think I want, I believe overhead and focusing only on the functional outcomes, it actually makes their life a thousand times easier and you don't have to fight them on I think I believe conversation. Mm. Gotcha. Can you talk, so, you know, you've given us a different way of doing things. Um, for listeners and people that are, you know, this is completely new to some people altogether, right? Let's agree with that, Chad, I think. You know, some people, yeah. will, you know, some of the words will be like flying over their heads as well. But what I want to do to simplify it for some people is, how would you explain this? Like, let's say you've been hired as a head of growth in a company today. How would you start? <laughs> yeah, okay. A, a new job. If you're hired uh, right now and you're going to take um, this process from start to finish, can you give us some hypothetical examples? Pick a hypothetical company uh, and just, you know, uh, that you're optimizing for them and talk sure. through this process uh, with examples. Sure. So um, I'll use econ because it's always the easiest. Um, I lead gen is also incredibly easy. Um, I come in and see where the conversations are at. Like, are they focusing on a specific acquisition or landing page or finding a new channel? Wherever they are in that process, excuse me, the only concern I have is do they have enough traffic to make it worthwhile? And it doesn't have to be a ton, but there's a critical mass, even if it's 10 conversions a day, to make this worthwhile, right? If you're completely brand new, it's a different stage. But if we're at that point, then I simply say, where are you focusing? What can we deconstruct? What can we take? So I used the example of the acquisition spend before. That's actually a conversation I just recently had. Um, an LP for an e-com site is another example. So they're very focused on trying to get this one uh, product out and they want to serve it. They have an ad in mind and stuff. So the first question is, is that the right product? The second question is where? The third question is who? I see where I can get for the easiest thing there and I explain the risk reward. And I'll usually serve options. I'll say, Here's low risk, low reward. Here's high risk, high reward. Here's what we need. And then I explain it in the framework like before. We need six options. They have to be high beta. They need to focus on this type of change. Uh, this is the actual spend. Again, I'm never judging ideas. I never once get into that. Um, actually, when I have a team, I refuse to even look at the options. I train them to do that because it creates a bias in me. And so I'm focusing on these concepts and what can they fill in? And I give those options to them and say, which one of these makes sense? And then usually there's a little bit back and forth. What can we help with? What can we not help with? But let's say we take the LP and we get the, we only focus on LP of an e-com site. We'll look at the spatial changes. What can we do fast? What can we do slow? Or what can we change to the highest yield for the maximum of our options? And we go through that process. We usually get a winner. We just keep that process. And before we even get to the end of the test, I'm always explaining, here's what this follow-up is. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what we're going to do next. So if this thing, if this one element wins, we're going to look at the components of the element through a, probably a partial factorial MVT. Or if this one piece wins, we're going to look for other places we can apply this. Or if this one piece wins, we're going to see if there's similar changes we can make or dive into the elements of that. Or maybe move from a spatial change to a presentation change to a function change. 
but I'm always talking about those next steps before we get there. Um, one of the things I teach everyone I work with is success and failure happens before you launch, not after. If you're to the point where you don't know what you're going to do when something wins or there's a gap in between, you've fundamentally failed. But by talking about the system and talking about the process and showing that it's a never ending cycle, um, I'm much more able to control that conversation and show that we're due. A lot of cases though, it takes a lot of heavy handholding. We're not picking the biggest win. Sometimes we're just picking the fastest win to get that going. But again, it's always based on the discipline. The discipline is what trumps. It's not the action. It's not the person. It's not the concept. The discipline is deconstruction, maximize outcomes, maximize yields, and show them how to be better at what they do. Did that answer the question? Yeah, I think it did. I think it did. I think it's, it's again, uh, with my concern is people that have been used to a way of hypothesis driven test design. And this comes on, uh, you know, at a tangent, if anything. So how, how would you convince, like, let's say people have bought into this, you know, they've, they've listened to this podcast, they've uh, fully bought into this idea. How would you then go about, um, what advice would you give them to convince their team about this? So that, that's a, another challenge in itself. Well, and yeah, it's always hardest to unteach than to teach. Um, but actually, I specialized in turning around programs for five years. So this is actually a usual conversation. And the nice part is because all ideas are fungible, I allow them to do everything they were doing before. I just add on top of it. And if they're right, they'll see it. And when they're wrong, and I highlight when they're wrong, um, mathematically, any single option on an eight or more has less than 1% chance of winning, just so we're clear. Um, then they can see that. And we do this over time. We do this a few cycles and it, it shows them that their hypothesis was irrelevant to the outcome. And simply going through that cycle a few times, they're showing bigger wins to see more consistent wins and they're actually doing less work. And so that's usually where we buy in. That first step is always the hardest and it's always unique, but it's always getting them to say, we're going to take what you're doing. This hypothesis is one outcome, deconstruct it to a little bit larger range, fill in this discipline. The one that's impossible for me, however, I just want to clear this, is people that are tracking things like clicks or tracking things like impressions or happiness or anything that has nothing to do with outcomes. So my first rule is single success metric. I will not work with someone that doesn't do that. And I've had to fight people for this. Um, I once worked with a very, 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 very large content provider in the United States. Um, and it took three months to get to that answer of what the success metric was for them. And again, that success metric is independent of a test, a page. It's 100% how do you make money or how do you exist? Um, and so for most sites, it's RPV. That's why e-com's easy. That's why lead gen's easy. Uh, content's the only one that gets a little tricky. But uh, once we got to a, a universal metric, then we can do this process. So I just want to highlight that. The groups that are hardest are the ones that are so used to storytelling, so used to providing people that what they want to hear that they have no inherent interest, even though they will claim to, of actually doing what's right for the company or for the user. So if I can take a step back, the hardest problem with these groups is always cognitive dissonance. Gotcha. Chad, based on what you've heard, is this something you can see yourself uh, changing in, in the way you do things? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm always- I didn't mean to put you on the spot over there, by the way. It's like- uh, No, it's cool. Um, no, I, I, I definitely think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very different, it's a very different way of doing things. I mean, it's, it's so, so the, the way that I've kind of, um, 
come into experimentation is through, you know, the traditional experimental methods, experimental psychology and clinical research and all these things. And that all, that all starts, starts with the hypothesis. We have some idea and then people try to, you know, I mean, there are, there are lots of issues with that, but the, I think the really interesting uh, thing about what, what Andrew is, is saying, um, whether or not it, it would work for me is it is a radical departure. It's using all the, it's using your same tools, it's using all the same resources that we have, but the, the mindset is fundamentally different from any other type of experimentation that we, that we know today, which is why I think if anyone's listening, you're probably going to have to go back and listen to what he said about three or four times, because it's just a, it's, it kind of turns the, the experimentation um, philosophy on its head. I, I would love to try it, you know, and, and kind of see what happens. It, it does make sense. Um, I won't say that it doesn't. So one one thing that I'm kind of interested in is how, Andrew, how did you, how did you arrive at this? Like, how did you get to the point where you're like, this is what I have to do? So um, I have an unusual entry to this. I actually studied to be a history teacher, social science teacher. And everyone I know has this connection to history and they have different ways to study it. Some people see how laws are created. Some people follow food. My favorite part of history was every single story in human history is we thought we were going to do X and we ended up doing Y nothing ever goes according to plan. And yet when I got into the business world, everyone thought everything was going to go to plan. And they got really upset when it didn't. And I was like, this seems contrary to, you know, the entire human experience. And then I also have a lot of backgrounds in economics and the leading economic theorist at the time right now really is Nassim Tlaib, um, who I will mention nonstop. And between that and Dan Ariely, um, and Catherine Schultz on TED Talks and things like that. Everything came down to this, how do I prove myself wrong and how do I exploit that? Because being right, there's no upside to being right. I don't learn, I get, I've used resources and do that. And everything came from that deconstruction. And then the other thing was that I got very frustrated with groups that would spend years doing the same things over and over again. Um, as I said, a lot of I think, I want, I believe conversations. Um, without fundamentally changing. And to me, the most important things in life are learning and, and not getting complacent. And so taking all those pieces together helped me start creating a framework. And then, like I said, I've been doing this for 15, 16 years. Um, if I don't look back three, four years ago, what I was doing and feel ashamed, I'm doing it wrong. And so I'm always trying to learn, always trying to keep the conversation going. There's so much that we haven't even, excuse me, gotten into in the margins and how we make decisions and how do we maximize yield and all these fundamentally arbitrary decisions in this process that I'm always trying to find new stuff to. Um, I make a rule of trying to read at least one hour to two hours every day of things that aren't in my space and just kind of incorporate those things. So I'm always looking to adjust it and fly on the fly. Does that help? No, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, I think it's a really interesting thing, um, not, just, not just to hear about the process you've de developed, but also how you, how you developed it because it is so different. Um, and I guess if, if there's, if there's one thing I think people sh maybe should kind of take away, um, if you do want to try this out for yourself, maybe, maybe a summary and hopefully I'm, I'm getting this right. It, it seems like that the, the main focus of experimentation as we know it today, as, as the majority of the industry is doing it, as I'm doing it, is we come up with an idea that we think is going to work. We build a test around that idea, then we execute it, and then we see whether we're wrong or right. And the method that Andrew is talking about is has, has very little, if nothing, to do with the ideas and more to do with the fact that 
by making certain types of changes, and there are some changes that we that we feel like spatial changes, like you said, are, are more uh, likely to result in some positive outcome than another, by simply making those changes at a large scale, there's a much higher likelihood that we're gonna see a positive lift that way than if we're trying to test something, which is basically taking uh, going uh, building experiences based on our our biases. That seems to be what I'm what I'm getting out of it. Sure, I mean I would simplify that by taking any idea and being able to see the fundamental assumptions built into it and the biases, and tackling things at that level as opposed to the individual concept level, and not focusing on idea, we're able to maximize outcomes. And so um, I hate doing this, but I just always use this example. So um, my current role over a lower 200 tests for a 90% success rate. And again, that means more than 5% lift, consistent data, enough data, blah, blah, blah. Um, I went five years with only six failed tests. And again, mathematically, it should be about 92%. So I'm actually lower here. Um, but the math is really easy to see on this when you dive into it. Um, and there's 10% is the average rate, no matter who you ask in the space, right? Some people get higher, some people get lower, but every statistic comes out, it's around 10%. So that 80% gap is just pure regret. And it's because of all those things that we're discussing going back and forth. Uh, so Andrew, uh, we're running out of time right now uh, for this podcast. Just a quick, uh, two quick questions. The first thing is, you mentioned this framework that you've arrived at. Is this documented somewhere that someone could refer to and you know, try and apply it to themselves? Is it documented online anywhere? Sure. Um, I've written a number of articles for Conversion Excel. Uh, there's the, uh, the the testing discipline is the most famous one. Um, I can make sure if you want to send out a link to that. I also have a site called testingdiscipline.com, which breaks down individual components of this. There's also a large amount at Adobe Marketing Blog, as well as other places like that. Um, there's also many videos, but you can also learn a lot by looking at Black Swan by Nassim Tlaib, Moneyball, um, the next hundred years there's a lot of different resources that will help feed us. Great. That's brilliant. And so this one is less of a question, more of a, uh, of a challenge to our viewers. If you are interested in this, um, after you watch this video, you know, hit us up on LinkedIn, hit Andrew up on LinkedIn, Chad or myself, and tell us if you are going to try and adopt this method. Uh, and you know, uh, we would love to document that journey from that switch from this hypothesis driven test design to the, 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 Theories, not the theories, the, 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 the framework that Andrew has talked about. So yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear from you as well. And as always, if you want to join us on Conversion Nations, we're open to anyone who has a story to share, a counterpoint uh, to, to add like how Andrew has done. Um, and yeah, we're always open uh, to having you on here. Um, from myself, uh, Manuel da Costa at Effective Experiments. Chad, thanks for joining us, uh, albeit for a little uh, shorter than usual. Andrew, it was great having you on for the first time. I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point in the near future again. Uh, but yeah, thanks for watching and see you next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to Conversionations. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified when we release new updates. Conversionations is brought to you by Effective Experiments. Want to make experimentation a core part of your business? Request your demo and let us show you how we can help you grow your testing program.